Hello, welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. My name is Alan Mulhan. We come now to the final two podcasts of this season. Our subject is The Secret of the Golden Flower, and our aim is to show through this ancient text how the healing of our emotional wounds and our spiritual condition are linked and have always been of intense concern to humanity. This exploration of the secret of the golden flower will be in two parts. The first podcast today gives the background metaphysics and spiritual worldview of this remarkable work. The following podcast will examine its relationship to analytical psychology, that is, the psychology founded by Carl Gustav Jung. We shall discover that the secret of the golden flower has much to teach about the healing of emotional wounds and the root to the spirit. Both Taoism and Confucianism originate in the 6th century BC in ancient China. Confucianism is a humanistic or rationalistic philosophy, a way of governing or simply a way of life. It is often characterised as a social and ethical philosophy rather than a religion. However, it is built on ancient religious foundations to establish the social values, traditions, institutions and transcendent ideals of Chinese society. Taoism is the inverse of Confucianism, the mystical undercurrent. This is not uncommon in the world's religions. Think of Gnosticism in relation to Christianity, or Sufism to Islam, or the Kabbalah in relationship to Judaism. While the formal dominant religion plays a crucial role in the control of society, the underlying equally necessary and sometimes repressed undercurrent focuses on mystical and individual experience and can be radical and subversive. Is it possible that Confucianism and Taoism offer an interesting model for what the West might need in the period to come? As Western societies cast off the remaining vestiges of formal Christianity, they are faced with a spiritual vacuum which political correctness can hardly fill. As they drift into moral anarchy, family breakdown and social disharmony, we can expect movements to arise that compensate and offer authority, strength, meaning and spiritual perspective. Patirim Sorokin, the brilliant Russian émigré and subject of a later podcast, argued that materialist, or sensate, as he termed them, societies were often followed by more spiritual or ideational ones. Our materialist society might be followed by one with more spiritual values, as it were, a reaction to our moral breakdown. Now, like Buddhism, neither the Confucian nor Taoist positions have an explicit God. Both tend to believe in some supreme creative force, which has manifested into myriads of opposites, the world we inhabit. Confucianism orders the individual in relationship to family, ancestors and society. You can imagine it addressing the broken society. While Taoism orders the individual in relationship to the cosmos, providing the search for harmony, balance of opposites, illumination and spiritual meaning. As the next set of podcasts following this, on the quest, develop, 
we shall see that ancient and long-lasting philosophies and religions contain much that we might utilise in the coming global crisis, if only we can adapt their wisdom to our contemporary needs and put it into a language that makes sense to us. Let us look at one example within Taoism, the secret of the golden flower. I should say at the onset that I am not even remotely a scholar of ancient China, nor a practitioner of Tai Chi, Qigong or any martial arts of the Far East, but I recognise a pearl when I see one. This unusual text transcends specialisms, nationalisms and even the millennia and can speak clearly to any human being engaged in sincere spiritual search. Oddly enough, this Book of the Light speaks most clearly to me if I happen to read it in the deep night, say at 3am, the third watch as it is called in the text, when the metropolis in which I live is hushed, when no planes roar and a sleep engulfs all, like the vast clouds that roll in from the Atlantic. If I read in the day, which is full of distractions, it seems as if I look through a glass darkly. Richard Wilhelm, the translator of The Secret of the Golden Flower into German in the 1920s, suggested that its origins probably date back to the time of the Tao Te Ching, again the 6th century BC, which is a fundamental text for both philosophical and religious Taoism. We also know that The Secret of the Golden Flower existed in the Tang period of the 8th century AD. Lu Yen, also known as the guest of the cavern and a Taoist adept, founded a sect called the Religion of Light, based upon the book which at times received favour while sometimes it was persecuted. There are also historical records of it existing in the 17th century, when the text was printed on wooden tablets. Also in the second half of the 19th century, the Secret of the Golden Flower had a populist following who were persecuted by the Chinese authorities, who viewed them as radically subversive. In 1891, for example, 15,000 members were killed by the Manchu rulers. Wilhelm comments that the followers of the Secret of the Golden Flower had a serious movement which practised a form of yoga and meditation based on it. In particular, he notes, the followers of this method achieved, almost without exception, the central experience. How did the secret of the Golden Flower come to the West? The empires of Western Europe, as they spread around the globe in the 17th to the 19th centuries, had as their major objective the control of resources and exploitation of wealth and subject populations. This was principally, of course, an economic and military process. However, at the same time, the Western powers studied the countries they occupied and the populations they dominated. When they occupied a country that was the seat of an ancient civilization, like Egypt, Persia, India or China, some of the occupiers, a tiny minority of course, became fascinated. Throughout the course of the 19th century, translations of the ancient literature of these colonies became available, the Indian Rig Vedas, Upanishads and Sutras being famous examples. These were to have a growing influence on the West, at first on select explorers, missionaries, theologians, 
and those who studied ancient cultures and languages. Then translated into German, French, English, Spanish and Portuguese. Then read by select members of the intelligentsia of the West. We find in the course of the 19th century certain study groups and spiritual cults based on Oriental religions coming into being in Western Europe and America. By the late 20th and early 21st century, this trickle of knowledge had become a flood. The Secret of the Golden Flower is one of these texts that has laid within the history of an ancient civilization for thousands of years that was translated in the early 20th century by a missionary who was enchanted with China, then passed through the hands of a psychologist, Carl Jung, who was to have great influence on spiritual thinking in the West. Richard Wilhelm, who lived from 1873 to 1930, was a German Sinologist, that is a studier of China, theologian and missionary. He lived in China for 25 years, became fluent in spoken and written Chinese, and grew to love and admire the Chinese people. He is best remembered for his translations of philosophical works from Chinese into German, that in turn have been translated into other major languages, including English. His translation of the I Ching is still regarded as one of the finest, as is his translation of The Secret of the Golden Flower. Both were provided with introductions by Carl Jung, who was a personal friend. Wilhelm died in 1930, shortly after publishing The Secret of the Golden Flower, and Jung gave an address at the memorial service in Munich in 1930. The text of The Secret of the Golden Flower carries with it Taoist philosophy, plus influences from other religions. It has an ancient Chinese style which is inherently mysterious, symbolic and elusive. Much of the text is written from a Tao perspective. Although there are notable Buddhist influences, some alchemical references, which of course fascinated Jung, and even some Christian, specifically Nestorian allusions. The Nestorian movement believed in the dual nature of Christ, as opposed to his human nature being subsumed into his spiritual nature. So the dual nature of Christ may seem a remote philosophy to distinguish yourself upon, but it alludes really to the dual nature, ultimately, of human beings. The text of The Secret of the Golden Flower can be difficult to penetrate and is embellished with Chinese symbolisms, for example, I Ching trigrams, and has a Taoist style, that is, it's full of nature images, secret meaning, witty poetic structure, dense and elusive spiritual content, references to spells and folklore, and sayings from the Tao Te Ching. I want to briefly outline its main parts, and then in the next podcast I shall relate it to Jungian thought and the healing of emotional wounds. First of all, it's metaphysics. The cosmos, the macrocosm, and mankind, the microcosm, in the last analysis obey the same law. Mankind participates in the cosmos. There is a supreme ultimate. This is the Tao beyond opposites, the source of all manifestations. Although the Tao is motionless, it is the source of all movement and gives its law both in the heavens and on earth. In Confucianism, Tao is the right way. 
The final principle of the undivided one is the Tai Chi, the ridgepole, the supreme ultimate. There have been many hundreds of translations of the Tao Te Ching, a mythical scripture-like text that has inspired readers and adepts across millennia. It seems irresistible to attempt to translate its enigma. For example, in The Sower and the Seed, a book I published in 2015, I opened with a poem adapted from the Tao Te Ching. It reads, Something formless yet complete precedes both man and earth. It lay outside of space and time. It had no death nor birth. It did exist before this world, all things it does bring forth. It is the mother of all life, the father of all thought. Not that this stanza has any poetic merits, but it illustrates the wonder of a scripture which can cross oceans and centuries, bridge a vast cultural gap, speak to our ears as if it were alive. Well, that is the Tao, the life essence. From the original oneness of the Tao, or Tai Chi, there develops the principles of reality, of opposites. The light, the active yang on the one hand, and on the other the passive and dark yin, which manifests in the realm of phenomena. These are sometimes called the creative and the receptive. Through the union of these opposites, there develops the ten thousand things, that is, the outer world. In the phenomenal world, mankind develops as a multiplicity of individuals, each with a central life principle, a monad, which at birth splits into the complementary opposites of a sing, human nature, or logos, and ming, life, eros. Both principles of hissing and ming transcend any individual. In Jungian terminology, they are archetypes. A related pair of opposites in our phenomenal and corporeal existence is hun, a yang principle, masculine, and po, a ying principle, feminine. On death, the po, connected to the body, sinks into the earth, while the hun, the higher soul, rises after death into the air, still active for a while, but then evaporates into ethereal space or into the common reservoir of life. Let's examine its spiritual view. With the normal down-flowing or clockwise flowing process of life, that is, think of life lived externally, the bodily po forces the hun into its service. The original being externalizes itself, reproduces and dies. In this case, the hun, or higher spirit, is left in poor condition and the po is the victor. However, if the ego has made an effort to counteract this externalization process and strive upwards, then it maintains a relatively happy life, aided by the sacrifices of the living who survive it. It then becomes an impotent phantom, lacking the energies of life and its fate comes to an end. According to its good and bad deeds, it may then partake of heavens or hells, all of which are inner states. Eventually, this being disappears from the plane of existence, supplied by its previous imaginings, enters a new womb and begins a new existence, 
again determined by its previous imaginings. You can notice various Hindu, Christian influences in this description. However, if there has been a more positive life, a backward-flowing, rising movement of the life energies, if the Po is mastered by the Han, then a liberation from the external attachments takes place. They are recognised, but not desired, and illusion is robbed of its energy, distinct Buddhist influence at this point. Instead, there is an ascending circulation of energy, and the ego withdraws from its entanglements with the world and remains alive via an inner rotation of the monad life centre, or principle, which is independent of the body. It thereby maintains itself as long as this rotation continues and can still influence mankind. Great sages have thus influenced mankind for thousands of years after their death and have educated humanity. However, these beings still retain their personal character, are subject to space and time, and are not immortal. Only the golden flower is eternal, which is an inner detachment from all entanglements. When individuals reach this level, unrestrained by the central monad that determines human nature, they return to the undivided one, the Tao. Let's examine the spiritual life and illumination through meditation. In the text, this is called heavenly consciousness, the heart. The Tao, the way, is that which exists through itself. It is the one essence. There is nothing above it. It is the one primal spirit. Essence and life cannot be seen but are contained in the light of heaven. This light is the golden flower, the true energy of the transcendent one, which, if attained, brings life. If lost, brings death. One may live in the energy and light, but not see it, as fish live in water, but see it not. The method that is aspired to is the maintaining of the centre and the circulation of this light, which resides in the square inch in the midst of the square foot. An examination of the text reveals that this enigmatic saying is between the eyes in the brow, so we can deduce that the square inch is the brow chakra, in the midst of the square foot, which is the face. This is the heavenly heart, the splendour, the god of the utmost emptiness and life, the centre of emptiness, the terrace of living, the ancestral land, or the yellow castle, or the dark pass, or the space of former heaven. Quote, the heavenly heart is like the dwelling place, the light is the master. Unquote. The method is a backward flowing movement, that is, a returning to the self away from the externalizations, which are the entanglements of the world. This is the deepest and most wonderful secret. Once it is kept circulating long enough, it may form a natural spirit body, a crystallization of the light. Of this it is said, silently thou fliest upwards in the morning. Seek no other method and focus on this alone. By collecting the thoughts, it says, 
one can fly and be born in heaven, which is not an external place, but the house of the creative within, which will form a spirit body. The heavenly heart is the source of all change in spiritual consciousness. On the one hand, this process needs a high degree of intelligence and understanding, otherwise one cannot gain it. And on the other, it requires great absorption and tranquility, otherwise one cannot retain it. Only in absolute silence will the heavenly heart open spontaneously and spiritual intelligence reach the origin, the supreme ultimate, the great one, which manifests as true energy, prana, seed, spirit, hanum po, yang and yin principles, translated loosely as animus and anima. This experience links up his sing, that is human nature, the logos, and ming, life and eros, which have been separated since birth. It unifies these fundamental opposites of the human being and attains the primal energy. This integration of his sing and ming is true human nature. The text says, and the great way, the Tao, is just this. The method starts with conscious action, which is setting in motion the circulation of the light by reflection. This is the inner light that starts in the brow and circulates through the psyche or chakras. The true seed is then born. The new spiritual being is born. Individuation proceeds and a method of melting and mixing is used. This is an alchemical metaphor, the breaking down of the previous personality and the mixing of new ingredients to promote transformation. By this means, the embryo is formed by a further process of nourishing, bathing and washing, that is, nurturing of the seed into the embryo, the future, new, transformed individual. This is followed by unconscious non-action, a state of pure being beyond opposites, the great one, supreme ultimate, beyond words, which is only experienced in non-action. Therefore, conscious action, the ritual of meditation, leads to inaction, the experience of oneness in which there is nothing to achieve. The text says the method is simple, but it is not with one leap one can get there. Whoever searches for eternal life must search at the place whence human nature and life originally sprang. This original place is the Great One or Tao, beyond but the source of all opposites, such as human nature and life. It speaks of the capacity to overcome human opposites through transcendent experience. The I Ching, or Tao Te Ching, the secret of the golden flower, in fact all of Taoism is saturated with what we might now call the deep psyche or the unconscious, where events, behaviours, attitudes, personalities, fate itself, have meaning not in rational terms, but rather as they are dependent on a vast interconnectedness, which is only dimly apprehended. Young was to call this the synchronicity principle. 
the adepts or disciplines orientate themselves towards this deeper acausal reality, the Tao. You may be aware that currently, January 2019, there is a 100-day meditation program that has just started, that is half an hour per day in our homes, based upon a study of the secret of the golden flower. Currently, there are participants from many parts of the world. I send out to everyone a summary of the book, The Secret of the Golden Flower, plus weekly emails encouraging the meditation. We abstain from our addictions for the 100-day period. For Spanish speakers, I also provide Spanish versions of the emails and summary. The programme is free. It is not too late to join our group. If you are interested, find contact details in alanmulhern.com. Next week, we have our final podcast of this season of the Healing of Emotional Wounds, after which we pass on to The Quest, an exploration of the world's great visionaries and the crises of our own time. Appropriately, we shall begin with Carl Gustav Jung, his life and work, all for which I hope you can join me.